Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Reading today is from Luke chapter 9. Once, when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. So as uh, many of you know, we have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and we've started to try and teach our kids this rule that in our family, we don't keep secrets, only surprises. As you can imagine, even keeping a surprise is a work in progress. I mean, I love when it was mid-December and we're hanging out with the grandparents and Oliver says, Papa, you're going to be so surprised when we give you your garden bench for Christmas. (laughs) It's like, yeah, he would have been, right? But he'll get it probably at some point. But we think it's important for children with parents to make this decision this distinction between surprise and secret. It is okay for you to be in on a surprise with someone, but it's not okay if someone asks you to keep a secret from your parents. So when your preschool teacher says, we're making this craft for Valentine's Day next week and it's gonna be a surprise, it would have been okay for him to keep that surprise. Did he? No, of course not, he's four, but it would have been okay to not tell us yet. But we want him to know it's not okay If somebody says, well, let's just keep this between us. Let's let this be our little secret. Doesn't matter who that is, a teacher, family member, friend, whoever. Yes, we still want you to tell us because we don't keep secrets. See the difference? Right? A secret is something that you never intend on sharing. A surprise is something that you're going to wait for the right time to share. His grandparents would have found out eventually what they would have gotten him, but we wanted him to wait for the right time. There's a difference between a surprise and a secret. Now, I bring this up because in our reading today, there's that really strange line that you might have noticed if you were paying attention. So Jesus is with just the disciples, and the crowds are all off at this point, and he asks them a couple questions. First, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, well, Jesus, there's a lot of talk. Nobody knows. Some people say you are continuing the work of John the Baptist, and so his fiery spirit is alive in you. And other people think that it's the spirit of Elijah or maybe a spirit of some other ancient prophet that's come back to life in you. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter gives the right answer. We all know it's the right answer. You are the Messiah of God which means the anointed one, the one who's chosen to save us. 
But then there's this strange verse. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone. What? <laughs> I mean, he just asked the disciples, who am I? Peter gave the right answer, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, okay, great. Now don't tell anybody else. What? Why? There are actually several times where Jesus does this throughout the gospel, either to the disciples, sometimes to demons, sometimes to people that he heals. He says, don't tell anyone that I'm the Son of Man, that I'm the Messiah. And scholars have puzzled over this so much, they've given it a name. It's called the Messianic Secret. If you want to sound smart, tell people about the Messianic Secret you learned about. And there's a lot of debate over this Messianic Secret. And basically, no one's really sure why Jesus would do this a lot. There's a lot of theories, but we're not sure. And the Gospels were written to tell people who Jesus was. So a lot of people are like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Why would he insist on not telling people who he is? Now, some of the debate with this messianic secret is because most of the time, almost exclusively, it happens in just Mark, just one of the Gospels. There are plenty of stories that are shared in three of the Gospels, sometimes in four, and in Mark, Jesus tells everyone, don't say who I am, and the other Gospels, he doesn't. So people have thought, well, maybe this was just a Mark thing, an editorial decision to put this in, it wasn't Jesus. Now remember, if that's the case, that doesn't mean that Mark was just making stuff up. The Gospel writers were not the disciples. Almost everyone agrees this, modern scholars, that this came a generation afterwards. So we're talking 70s, 80s, right? This is, what, 30, 40, 50 years after what happened with Jesus? And it's not like they had iPhones to record everything, right? They had a lot of stories of people giving these witness accounts. They had to choose what they thought fit. But people think, okay, this is a Mark thing except what I just read to you was from Luke's gospel. This is the one time where Matthew and Luke, they also put in this messianic secret. And so these gospels all agree, all right, in this instance, it's an important part of the story. But I think we shouldn't call it the messianic secret because it's not really a secret. A secret, remember, is something you never intend on sharing. It's more of a surprise. There will be a time when the disciples are supposed to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He's just saying at this point in the story, that time hasn't come yet, but it will. Look at what he says after that. He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, look, you can't go telling everyone that I'm the Messiah because you don't really know what that means yet. You won't until the cross. You won't until you see that this Messiah is not some conquering king. He's a suffering servant willing to die for his enemies rather than defeat them. Remember, most people assume that this Messiah would be a great warrior, and sure, this warrior might do some teaching. He might offer a path for forgiveness and redemption, all that stuff. But everyone assumed at some point, this Messiah has got to bring the judgments. 
He's got to bring the retribution. He's got to show the enemies of God that they're going to get what's coming to them. And Jesus doesn't want people to hear about that kind of Messiah. Because that's not who he is. It's not what he came to do at all. Now, in Matthew's version of the story, Peter proves that he doesn't get what it means to be a Messiah. Jesus tells them that, all right, I'm going to die and suffer at the hands of those in power. And then Peter fights back. He says this to Jesus, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. And do you remember what Jesus says back? It's some of the harshest words that he says in the Gospels. Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, what? He just said, I don't want you to die. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You see, it doesn't matter if we get the title for Jesus right or not. Actually, don't think the important question for us is, do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior? That's the most common Christian question. Is that what you believe? Guess what? A whole lot of people throughout history have believed Jesus is their Lord and Savior and have done some pretty awful things in his name. I think the more important question is, what does that look like? What kind of savior do you think Jesus is? Now, around the Super Bowl, there was some controversy over two different ads that were about Jesus. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but maybe some of you did. I heard that it was a thing. Uh, And I went back and watched these ads, and they are a part of a campaign that's called He Gets Us. Now, if you haven't noticed this campaign, you will at some point in the next few years. They're actually in billboards, even around Columbus. They're on YouTube videos and commercials all across the country. And a lot of people, myself included, when you watch the videos, we mostly like them. It's good content. They're well-made. And these videos tend to give us a helpful challenge to some of our preconceived notions about who Jesus is. Now, one of the ads that was in the Super Bowl talks about loving your enemies. And guess what? Jesus says that, we, that Jesus loves even the people we hate. I love that message. That's a great, challenging message for us to hear. There's another video called The Refugee, and it reminds us that Jesus and his family, they experience life as refugees, as immigrants. So if anyone understands refugees today and cares about their struggle, surely Jesus does. I think that's a great message. There are other videos about how Jesus knows what it's like to feel anxiety, to struggle, to feel alone. Jesus hangs out with all these people that the church people often reject. In other words, the reason why they started making this campaign is because the life and teaching of Jesus, it's such a better story than what people often hear. It's so much more compelling than what you would see if you, your impression is just what you see Christians making the news for. So I really resonate with this message. Again, it's not, they're not all great, but for the most part, it's good. But the real controversy comes down to the money. Now, he gets us those two Super Bowl ads. They cost around $20 million. Their initial plan for this campaign was $100 million. 
they now plan to spend over the next three years a billion dollars on this marketing campaign for Jesus. And that's a lot of money. And then people started to ask, well, where is that money coming from? Most of the donors are anonymous, but recently some of these donors have come out and some of the big donors are supporters of some far-right politics. And they are a part of lobbying groups and churches that are anti-immigrant, anti-LGBT, anti-birth control. Now I have to admit, personally, I feel conflicted about this whole campaign. Because even with all that, I still see the value in communicating this message. And I don't know if that's the best use of all that money, but I also am always wary to identify myself with Judas. <laughs> Maybe you remember the story where Judas uh, saw this woman coming in and she was anointing Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. And Judas said, how dare you do that? That's not a good use of resources. You should have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. And Jesus defends her because this is an act of worship. So I'm not sure how I feel. There's, I'm not totally for or against this campaign, but I think the criticism is really worth paying attention to. Because here's what most of the negative reaction has been. They basically said, look, you're saying good things. You're saying the right things about Jesus, and we don't care. Because what we really want to see is for Christians to show the world what Jesus is like through your actions, not through your words. Show us by your lives. Don't just tell us. Because if you claim to follow this God who supports the marginalized and supports immigrants and supports women, and at the same time you support lobbyists who don't, then those are empty, meaningless words. Now, there is something to be said that we are all hypocrites. None of us perfectly live out our values. But here's the point. Showing someone who Jesus is, that is so much more effective than telling them. Showing someone by how you live, by your actions, that matters so much more than what you say about Jesus. Maybe that's why Jesus wanted his disciples to wait for the right time. He had to show them who he was first. And before the cross, they hadn't really seen the cost of love yet. You know, most people think forgiveness is good, being kind is good, mercy is good when it's easy. But it's not just for when it's easy, and it's not just for the people who deserve it. As Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them the people who are torturing and murdering an innocent person. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's also for our enemies, also for them. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the Messiah is like. See, it's only after that that the disciples can get it. When they see Jesus on the cross, and then maybe they would remember the words he said to them in our reading, if anyone wants to come after me, then you've got to be willing to pick up your own cross and follow me. And you know what they did? They did. They were ready to confess Jesus as the Messiah with their actions. Most of the disciples were martyred 
They followed the same path as Jesus, knowing exactly where it would lead them. Now, of course, the world is different. The world as Christians is very different now in America in 2023 than it was in the first century of Rome. But we should probably ask ourselves, are we willing to follow God's call even when it makes us uncomfortable? Are we willing to follow the way of Jesus even when that means we go into people's pain and despair and we enter in the mess of other people's lives when it's so much easier to keep our distance? Are we willing to follow God even when that means calling out injustice around us and speaking out when it's really hard to do so? If we're comfortable with the way things are, if we think that God is just going to maintain the status quo, then we are in for a surprise. Because the gospel, it's always meant to comfort us and to challenge us to change, to do better, to make the world a better place. And the surprise of the gospel, it's always meant to be good news. Because no matter what you've heard about God, no matter what hurt you've experienced and judgment and shame, maybe at the hands of good Christians, no matter what heartache you have experienced, God's love is so much better than that. It's so much bigger than we could ever imagine. So yeah, we're all in for a surprise. Thank God.